Well, Dave, in the infamous words of Michael Jordan, uh, paraphrased, even though it was just two words, we're back. And we're back we're better back. than ever. <laughs> we're back again. We're back and better than ever. We are. A little over six months since our last episode, which was June 11th. Uh, that was called Requiem for the Garden Teams. And guess what? They still suck. So uh, it's been six months and not much has changed in that regard. But Dave, we're back. We are. Uh, we were back in the saddle, and uh, the crossing state line boys are are here again, and we are put back into the podcast sphere for uh, a little little Spider Man. Uh, I almost called it Far From Home, just like you did off the air. Uh, Spider Man No Way Home, which we both saw uh, opening night or opening day in your in your case. Um, and we will uh, kind of just dive right into it because there's uh, if if you missed it, a lot to talk about with this this picture. Um, so Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home, uh, the, it was on, on Rotten Tomatoes here, it's got a 94% from the critics, a 99% from the audience. The synopsis that we have is, for the first time in the cinematic history of Spider-Man, our friendly neighborhood hero's identity is revealed, bringing his superhero responsibilities into conflict with his normal life and putting those he cares about most at risk. When he enlists Doctor Strange's help to restore his secret, the spell tears a hole in the world releasing the most powerful villains who have ever fought a Spider-Man in any universe. Now Peter will have to overcome his greatest challenge yet, which will not only forever alter his own future, but the future of the multiverse. Dave, uh, with that being said, what'd you think? I loved the movie. I already saw it twice, actually. I saw it again (laughs) on Saturday. (laughs) Um, I loved it. I, I loved everything about it. I had a very hard time finding things I didn't like. Um, and which is, you know, anytime you can say that about any movie, it's it says a lot just because, of how, especially a movie that's two and a half hours, it's like you're bound to not like one or two things just because of taste and, and preferences. But I just, I loved everything about the movie and it lived up to expectations, which is incredible to say that, that they've done it three times with uh, Infinity War, Endgame, and, Far, and No Way Home, three movies that were hyped up more than pretty much any movie in the last 20 years. And I'm glad that you did not do anything like this before I had a chance to mention it, but this is a very spoiler-filled episode. Uh, if you're coming for spoiler-free takes, uh, you can you can look elsewhere, because if you haven't seen this movie by now and you're listening to this podcast, I don't know what to tell you. Um, unless you're our good friend of the podcast, Sean Clayton, who uh, has still not seen it yet, but he is, doesn't really have Twitter, so uh, he has avoided all the spoilers, which is great. So, Sean, if you're listening to this, turn back. And uh, come back when you've seen the movie. Um, that being said, I agree. I loved it. I saw it Thursday. Um, and it was the second best theater experience to Endgame. I mean, it didn't quite have the pop as the, the Endgame scenes did. Because I think, I mean, you know, spoiler alert. I mean, I already said spoiler alert. Everybody knew what was coming. The big reveals in the movie, everybody knew what was coming. We knew who was going to be in it. We knew what was going to happen. We just didn't know when or how. We just knew the what and the who. But Endgame, obviously, we didn't know the whole Cap Hammer scene. We didn't know the portals. Like, that was a very organic experience that everybody shared. In this case, we knew what was going to happen. We just didn't know how or when. Um, But I'll tell you right now. uh, If you want to go, we probably hop all over the place here. Um, I'll start with saying I lost my mind when I saw Matt Murdock appear on the screen. I know you had the same thought when you saw it. You were like, wow, Jake Price lost his mind. Or he's going to lose his mind when he sees this. That, that was the first, I don't know how it was for you, but yes. in the theater, that was the first audible reaction. You that was the first pop. People. Yes. Everybody, yeah. as that soon was- as that cane hit the ground. Yeah. 
uh, it was it was awesome. So obviously, uh, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, officially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he had, he was there for what like three minutes. He was on screen. Yeah, and, and he he had like a few great lines in that time span too. The, maybe the best one liner in the whole movie. Yeah, when he catches the brick and he says, "How'd you do that?" And he says, "I'm a really good lawyer." <laughs> Which is just such such a great line. It's perfect, and we know that in the comics they team up, so I'm sure it'll happen at some point in the future. Um, but just just hearing them say Mr. Murdoch, and you know, hearing him speak on screen for the first time in I think it's at least three years, maybe four. But it's incredible. And Charlie Cox, I know you haven't seen, inexplicably, you still have not seen Daredevil, which is unbelievable. <laughs> but Charlie Cox was perfectly cast in that role. And uh, Hawkeye spoilers too. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. Uh, the Kingpin's back too. And that is also phenomenal. Just having, I mean, those two, all due respect to Foggy Nelson and Karen Page, those two made the show. And they need to be great to make that show. And the fact they're both getting imported into this universe, A+. Plus. I mean, you couldn't add... I mean, Kevin Feige was handed those two characters on a silver platter. I know he was involved with the show, but, like, come on. These two characters, I'm very happy to have them because Kingpin's, like, one of Spider-Man's biggest villains, along with Daredevil's biggest villain. So we'll eventually see them team up, probably. Um... But yeah, he has a great scene there. We don't see him again, but that was all we needed to know that he was in the universe now, and that's great. So what did you think of how the movie opens? It opens, you know, pretty much picks up right where you left off at the end of Far From Home. The intro credits lead us right into Peter Parker, you know, having his identity revealed. So what, you know, what did you think of that opening scene of how we kind of got brought into this, this storyline? I think it was a smart choice the way they played it because you're kind of immersed right into the the issues that he has and the integrity as far as like that he believes he should have his two separate lives, which is if you've seen any superhero movie, which is an origin story, they're like, that's the moment they realize there's not two separate lives. You can pretend there is, you can try to be, you know, this, you know, regular guy and superhero, but as we've seen in almost every instance, there's no way you can. Eventually they know who you are and you just have to figure out how to live with one simultaneous uh, life. But it's, I thought it was really interesting just because it sets up what, what comes next, which is him wanting to set, like alter his life and alter the knowledge of people knowing who he is. Because if you're not set up with the fact that everyone's ambushing him and things are going awry and all these issues and he gets brought in and you might get charged you don't really know what the stakes are for him to want to change his life. It really sets up yeah. the fact that we really, really need to change his life because this kid is going through hell and he's just really, really struggling right now. So yeah. I thought it was smart and it wasn't, it wasn't drawn out too much. And we got to, it was a perfect way to meet Charlie Cox right. as a lawyer, which is really, really smart the way they did it. Yeah. And that was, a you know, everybody kind of had that idea. That's how they were going to introduce him. And you were just kind of waiting for when and how that was going to happen. And it was great. Uh, my only, you know, issue, if I call it that, my, my issue with the movie is the first act did move a little bit slowly. Uh, but you're right. They needed to kind of establish why this was important to him. And if it was just about him, that would be way too selfish. And that's kind of not how Spider-Man operates. I mean, at least not the whole time he, you know, learns about himself and all that stuff. But we needed to see how it impacted Ned and MJ and Aunt May and Happy, like all the people around him who also suffered uh, tangentially from 
what had happened to him with Mysterio revealing his identity. So that was a smart setup. And that brings us to Doctor Strange, who everybody theorized was, you know, uh, Mephisto. Again, we just, we, we thought everybody was Mephisto for like the past five shows. Everybody is Mephisto. And Doctor Strange, yet again, not Mephisto. Um, or at least it didn't appear that way. But that gets us to Doctor Strange, who, uh, against, first of all, not Sorcerer Supreme anymore. That's not Wong. That's not Wong's title, because he blipped. <laughs> oh, so unfortunate for Doctor Strange. Yeah, Poor it's, it, it, Wong is always, like, one of those characters that has very few lines, but he adds so much to a movie. His, his personality is just kind of very rugged and, like... He's just not super, doesn't give off the super friendly vibes. Like when he's telling the kids to keep shuffling, <laughs> no one told you to stop shuffling. Yeah. Um, it's, I thought Dr. Strange too is really good in this. Yeah. Uh, I thought his like personality kind of shined a little bit where he, he's like yeah. kind of, he just kind of had that, that sharp edge to him, but he also kind of had the emotion of like, he said it one of the times, I forget you're a kid sometimes. Yeah. And because we've all we've been through, it was just like a, almost like a father son type moment. It was really, yeah. really kind of weird. And it was, it, it wasn't quite that Tony Peter dynamic because it, it yeah. felt like a little father sonish, like you said, but it, it didn't feel like there was that, like uh, that love there. It was just kind of like was, a very direct relationship. Yeah. It was almost like, well, like Tony and Peter were kind of like the, the military type father where right. like he keeps them in line he gives them all the stuff to do. You have great potential. You need to realize it. And then Doctor Strange is kind of like... The fun uncle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The fun uncle. He was like, you know, oh, like, we have to help him out. Come on, Wong. Like, this kid's been through enough. And it's just yeah. like... And Wong was just like, yeah. leave me out of it. I'm going yeah, to another movie, like, which is... I mean, is that, it's going to be his bit for the rest of his time in the MCU. He's just going movie to movie. Like, he was yeah, in Shang-Chi. <laughs> he's in this. Goes to another portal. Then he's in something else. Um, it was... It was interesting, though. And... I think him being in like Shang-Chi for like 0.1 seconds and yeah. this one for like 0.2 seconds. It's just like, it's very interesting how they just like, they use them in such short bursts. Yeah. And everybody's like, when we didn't, we didn't do an episode of Shang-Chi obviously because we were on hiatus, but it was, <laughs> it was funny how like they gave us that one little kernel, like, oh my God, an Avengers, Wong, Wong's here. I mean, yes, Mark Ruffalo was in it for like five seconds, but uh, in the post credit, but um, that's a different discussion for a different day. When we do our uh, MCU rankings redux and our ranking of the TV shows at some point, we'll have to um, address that. But for the time being, yeah, I, Doctor Strange, he's good. He's really in it for like the first act and parts of the very important parts of the third act. He really isn't in the second act very much because he's uh, <laughs> trapped <laughs> in the mirror dimension uh, by Peter, who uses math to trick him, which is really interesting because he's a doctor. Like you think he would be able to figure that stuff out too. But anyway, um, so we just might as well get right into, they cast this spell, or Strange casts a spell, at least he tries to, and Peter completely torpedoes it, like, five times, by saying, you know, I kind of want MJ to know who I am, and I want Ned to know who I am, and Aunt May, and Happy, like, I, I need, that was a good joke, too, when he said Happy, and he's like, not, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm more, more, I forget the lie, he's like, more, like, annoyed, uh, no, I'm, I'm annoyed, um, uh, the whole Sir uh, Doctor Strange bit also is is pretty good. The, the that that bit goes through the entire movie, um, but Peter interferes with the spell, and as everybody knows through what I just read to you in the synopsis, 
uh, all the villains are here from different universes. So we might as well, I think we should go villain by villain here. There's five of them, which is so maddening because there could be six. And then you could be like, oh, the Sinister Six, like, cool. But no, there's five. Um, so let's start, in, let's go in order of appearance. Frightening five. Yeah, the, the Frightening Five. Let's go in order by appearance. So the first one we see is Doc Ock, who is played, again, by Alfred Molina. And he, I would say, is the second best one. We'll get to the best one very shortly. But I'd say he's second best. He is great. He does a great job again. I, mean, I think he he played that character so well in Spider-Man 2. And that's a big reason why people adore that movie. And rightfully so. I think it's the best of the original trilogy. Um, because Alfred Molina plays that character. It's such a torturous like, story about, like a tortured story rather, about um, Dr. Octavius, whose name I can't say without laughing after that scene. But it's just a really dark story. You know, his wife dies and he's pretty much responsible for it. Because of him. Yep, he's responsible. And... He comes back in this, and I mean, we saw him in the trailer, so it wasn't a surprise. Even though people still clap when he came on screen, uh, even though it was in the trailers, <laughs> um, but it, it really was cool to see him back, and he is uh, back and better than ever because he was whipping around those stone columns. Yeah, I, I, I loved him. I loved his character, and I mean, honestly, I think the only reason we knew he was in the movie was because he blurted it out right away. Well, like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm back in Spider-Man. Like, yeah, right. I'm not 100% sure if Feige wanted that information. Kevin Feige that was burning, ho- burning, <laughs> burning holes through the back of his skull when he was saying that, I'm sure. If he was, look- yeah. he was like looking at his TV, just like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I know he probably would have revealed a couple villains, but you got to, like, entice they, someone. They but... Willem Dafoe walking around in a cloak, and Alfred Molina's like, yeah, I'm in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He just like blurts it out. Yeah, yeah. very happy to be back. They invited me back again. It's like, oh, okay. Um, um. Yeah. No, he. I. I agree. I think. I mean, he was clearly second, and that's not a knock on him. He was no. outstanding. He was very enjoyable. He came through with a, like a lot of different personality quirks, which is what he had in the first one. Uh, he was very, very enjoyable to interact with the other villains and with Peter. Yeah, and it's, it also makes sense how he is the first one slash really only one willing willfully redeemed in the movie because the other ones are, you know, injected with serum to, uh, to, to cure them. But he goes along with it and wants to be, or at least, you know, to a degree, wants to be cured. Um, and he really, I mean, you could argue he's the one that saves the day in the end. And he is the one who, who, not to get ahead of ourselves, he rips off the arc reactor from uh, from Electro and ends up curing him, quote-unquote. But, yeah, I mean, Alfred Molina is Doc Ock. Just A-plus again. The next person we see, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, who uh, I think, without a doubt, the best villain in the movie. Uh, he is on his A-game yet again. Like, he never left. Like, he never left. Yeah, I mean, fantastic, awesome performance. Really creepy. Had that great laugh going. Oh. Um, maniacal, and he's getting beaten up and smiling and laughing. It just, it was really, really great the way they saved him for last when they were battling. Like he flew in at the very end. Yeah, yeah it made him feel like he was like the ultra villain, which is, I mean, pretty much what he was. But, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, Doc Ock, like you said, was the only one that was actually like given a second chance and took it and everyone else kind of realistically it was it was the green goblin's fault as to why everyone else shook loose so 
Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of interesting because when you saw Doc Ock him come back, it was like you didn't really know that he was still good. You didn't really yeah. know if the chip had broken when um, when the explosion happened in the apartment or the condominium. Right. So that's true. Uh, it was very. Uh, it was obviously huge that 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 happened because he saved the day. He said took the arc reactor off. Um, yeah. Off electro, but like you said, J- uh, Green Goblin though was easily the best part of that sequence of the movie and the best villain by far. I, I, I think. Got killed Aunt May. Killed Aunt May. It could have been just him and Doc Ock, and it would have been a great movie just yeah. because of those two performances. It's true. They had to put more in there, and I get it. But I mean, I, I, we we can touch on it later. But if we don't, if we forget to do it later, we could touch on it now. Uh, the scene when when may dies is is heavy real heavy stuff like i'm still not totally clear why they were trying to arrest spider-man in that moment but um yeah that that i mean like you knew something happened to her she got hit by the glider like it's not like she just escaped with nothing but they played it off really well that you thought okay she's hurt but she's okay and then she collapses and obviously she she dies but that it's it's brutal. It's a brutal moment, and Marissa Tomei is is very good in that scene. Uh, we get the classic line: "With great power comes great responsibility," um, which is not something you. I mean, you heard that, and then Uncle Ben died, but there was like a gap between that. This was like she said it, and then like ten seconds later, he dies. She dies. Like it, it was really quick for Peter, and uh, I'm sorry, Tom Holland. Should I say? Yeah, spoiler. Um, so let's quickly hit on the other three because the other three villains aren't really that involved other than, you know, the Green Goblin and Doc Ock are the top two. Then you have Electro, played by Jamie Foxx again, who I think they did a good job explaining why he looks different in this universe because he comes in looking like the blue Electro and it's almost like a funny inside joke that he looks so bad again. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then he looks normal again and he he looks like regular Jamie Foxx. The whole bit with him being naked is, is pretty funny. Um... He's great. He's He got a second chance. I mean, like, a very meta second chance of being a regular-looking person. Um, and he he's a, a very good Electro. He's, he's very standoffish, untrustworthy, and I really like how he, he plays the character this time around. He got a second chance to do it, and I think he did a much better job. Yeah, and his personality kind of show, uh, shined through with, like, the jokes and the quips and the... Yeah. Uh, um just the really quick wit and reactions to everything. And I mean, his, he's a comedian at heart, so it's pretty easy for him to whip off the, off the cuff one liners. I'm sure some of those were kind of improvised by him, but uh, yeah, the scene where he's like naked was really, really funny. Uh, and it was really, really interesting because they made him really powerful, which yeah. was something that I didn't expect. I thought he'd be kind of like a, kind of like, just a like on the sideline guy, maybe a couple appearances here and there, but they made him really, really powerful. Yeah, he was a he's a beast. Uh, and his suit looked awesome. His suit was awesome. I mean, it was very and he had the the little uh, electric symbol on his head during the final fight scene looked a lot like how Electro looks in the comics. So they did a great job with that. Um, and I like how he can like feel the energy around him, like that. That was a really cool. I'm sure that's something Electro can do in the comics too. But it was cool to see him do that and not look ridiculous. Re- ridiculous doing it which is what he did in the, in the second amazing spider-man um flint marco 
Could have taken her leaving. Could have could have taken her left him. Really honestly, he was fine. He was good. Thomas Hayden Church, great to have him back. I guess uh, he was fine in the first in in the third Spider Man. Um, I I really don't have much to add about Flint Marco. <laughs> he was just kind of there. I mean, he saved he saved Tom Holland once, and he did. He did save Tom Holland. Was, he needed to be there. Uh, because he thought he but he thought he was Peter. He thought he was Tobey Maguire, so that's why he saved him. Well, no, but he saved him once, and then he helped him, even though he knew it wasn't. That's true. That's a good point. He did. He well, it was just because they wanted. He was like, we need to, we need to get out of here just to begin with. Like, we will figure it out later. Um, and finally was uh, the lizard, Doctor Curtis Which Connors had virtually no role in this. Movie. Really, no role, but he did have some pretty good uh, jokes he was involved with. Uh, they kept calling yeah. him a dinosaur. Um, He's, uh, he just, I, I just love that, like, British accent that's coming out of this giant lizard man. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's a great, like, contrast. I, I don't know what it is, but it always gets me. And I thought he wasn't a bad villain in the first Amazing Spider-Man. I think that movie is average. It's pretty mid. It's okay. Um, I mean, it's a masterpiece compared to the second one. But, <laughs> um, let's just say they made a good move leaving the rhino and venom out of this. Well, mostly venom out of this one. Um... Yeah, Topher Grace probably didn't get the call for this movie, but he was he was fine. He was there. He didn't he didn't work against the movie. Let's put it that way. Uh, he's powerful. He was you know, and then we see him transform back into uh, Doctor Connors. So it was okay. But again, like we said, as as good as Electro was, and as there Flint Marco and Curtis Connors, Doctor Curtis Connors were, uh, it was the Green Goblin and Doc Ock that made the movie villain wise, at least, especially Green Goblin, because yes, Doc Ock turns and becomes. Uh, a, a good guy again. Um, but pff, Willem Dafoe, man, absolutely knocks out of the park. Underrated part of the, of Willem Dafoe's character too, is when he's take, when he's stealing the donuts in his pocket. That's true. That's <laughs> well, true. Aunt May is trying to help Peter. Like you have to help him. People need yeah. help. And he's like taking all the yes. donuts. He is. He actually, I don't think he even noticed that. Um, he is such a phenomenal actor. Like he turns on a dime when he's Norman Osborn and the Goblin. Like, he, he just couldn't... And I loved the... Trying to make the costume more, like, comic accurate because he had the purple hood and the green jacket. Like, it looked like it was, like, a nod to his... It was like the Vulture in, in uh, Homecoming where he had the furry... The, the, the fur around his, his neck, like, in the comics. So, I really like what they did with the Goblin and how he kind of shed the old costume and, and took on this new one, uh, but was the same old Goblin, an absolute maniac. But... Let's just cut. To, let's just cut to the chase here. The scene that everybody would be talking is everybody's talking about. Everybody loves the scene where we meet the other Spider Men. I think they did a good job with this because this was the big question: How do you introduce them? Do they come swinging in during the fight? I thought they might swing in during the apartment scene. I thought that's might be how we get introduced to them. Um, but it ends up being Wizard Ned and MJ who are trying to find Peter after the apartment or the condominium, whatever it was, after the uh, the events of the, 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 the attack or the fire. And Ned is using his sling ring, and they're trying to find Peter Parker. And sure enough, they're just looking and searching, trying to figure out how to find him, and Ned's just making hand movements, and then they figure out that he can, like, open portals, which... Thankfully, they explained with the whole he might be magic thing, because otherwise it would make no sense at all. It took Strange how long to learn that? Like, the, the Ancient One left him on Mount Everest or some shit? Like, it took him a while to learn that. But 
that's fine. I'm willing to move past that. Um, so Ned opens up a portal. They say, you know, we want to see, like, I forget the exact language Ned used, but it was, uh, find Peter Parker, I think is what he said. So he opens up the portal. They see a Spider-Man and sure enough, come running through the portal is Andrew Garfield. And my theater lost their mind when that happened. <laughs> yeah, mine did too. It went nuts. And rightfully so. Because as as I I don't want to forget to make this point later, so I'll make it now. Both Garfield's and Maguire's Spider-Man series ended on such sour notes. Amazing Spider-Man 2 was awful. Spider-Man 3, I've seen it actually a few times in the past few weeks. It's a little better than I remember, but it's still pretty bad. If they cut all the emo Peter stuff out, it would actually be a decent movie. But that emo Peter stuff makes it so unwatchable. Um, but they both ended on such sour notes. And giving them both a really good, at least for now, end of their arc in this movie, it, it kind of took that bad taste out of your mouth. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought overall that it was overall good you know um i'm not 100 percent sure what they could have done differently to make it like they tried to make it as natural as possible and i think they did a pretty good job of that i i think it was really it was really good how they gave andrew garfield a few minutes yeah. like to kind of like acclimate to the cast like, it was really funny, the interaction with him and MJ, like, throwing yeah. bread at him. Yeah. He's like, you're a deeply mistrusting person. <laughs> and he's, like, holding onto the wall with three fingertips. She's like, I need to see you crawl. And he's like, you don't need to see me crawl across the wall. And then he does it to get the cobweb for uh, for Ned's yeah, grandma. Which is, which is also very funny. That was great. Um, It, it, it was, it, I think you were right. I, I think the way they did it was was very nice. I think that was the, a good way to introduce them. And you didn't see it coming until right before it happened, I don't think. Like... You were like, they as soon as they said, as soon as Ned did the find Peter Parker and started moving his hands, that's when you knew you were going to find them. That's how you knew you were going to see them. Um, so Andrew Garfield comes through, and then as soon as you see him, you know what's happening next. They're going to do it again, and they're going to see Tobey Maguire. And sure enough, Ned does it again, and who comes walking through, as Andrew Garfield says later, dressed as a youth pastor, Tobey Maguire. And I think, I think the theater went even crazier for him. Because it's been what fourteen years since he's been Spider Man, it was yeah, not. And I mean, it, and he still looks good, but he has aged. It is, it is obvious now. Um, but the theater lost his mind. Like he just comes casually strolling through this portal, um, and it's it it really is a sight. To, it's really a sight. It really is a sight. It's unreal. Seeing them on screen together was just nuts. Just the two of them, not even Tom Holland. Like it it, it was. A scene people have been waiting for for a long time. This was speculated for over a year, I think, that this was going to happen. And I think that it was a very nice bow put on introducing them into the MCU. For however fleeting that may be. But he comes through and they realize, you know, we sense that, you know, he needs our help. And yes, he most certainly does. Um, so before we move into the rooftop scene, is there anything else you want to touch on there? No, I mean, I, I I liked how they brought everyone in, and I was I found it funny that they brought in Andrew Garfield fully in his suit, and Tobey Maguire yeah. was just, like, in a sweater. Yeah. Um, I but, thought that was really funny. 
We should remember though that there he would do that a lot, where he would keep the suit underneath his uh, his clothes. Yeah, because well, as we saw, like he's Spider Man, like as a human. Yes. Not like with the web shooter that he built and like right. the costume. Like he's right. actually Spider Man. That was. I was wondering how they were gonna do that, and it was hysterical when Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland see that he shoots it from his body. Yeah. Like they they're like they're like mystified. It's unreal. And he's like, he like, like, feels self-conscious about it, but it's so funny. Yeah, they're like, how are you doing that? <laughs> and there's all like um, web blockages, and he's like, oh yeah, I had one of those, it was existential. And they're like, yeah, I have to make like web fluids, it's crazy. I'm so glad I rewatched the Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire yeah, trilogy. it really helped. Just because, yeah, yeah it, it did, it refreshed a lot of stuff that I did not remember. Yeah. And it the, felt more like natural when you saw him on screen, even though he looks... A lot older like he still looks pretty good for i don't know yeah. how old he is but he's probably in his mid-40s like, now yeah he looked so young in spider-man yeah. like when well i mean like in the original spider-man then by spider-man 3 it's like all right this is like a 30 year old man playing spider-man yeah yeah well i mean every he aged from 25 yeah. to 30 or yeah, whatever it, he was i think he was, was like 25 when he first did the role yeah, he but, took a hard turn let's put it that way yeah within five years he yeah. was significantly older yeah he uh he, he took a hard turn on a wet road let's put it that way uh, into 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 being thirty, but it, it it I I did like the no not to jump around too much here, but the scene at the end between him and Doc Ock was very heartwarming. When you know they see each other again, and he's all all grown up. First of all, that was almost like an inside joke. All grown up, like he was thirty the last time you saw him. Like let's not pretend he was a kid. Um, but the power is the power of the sun in the palm of my hand. Like that was that's a that's a callback to the second Spider Man. That's one of the key lines from the movie and it's just it, it was just so nice to see them on screen again i don't know how else to say it but anyway we move to the rooftop they go to find peter they ask you know is there somewhere he goes when he's feeling grief or he needs to get away or be alone and mj knows it's the top of that building um so they go there and peter's just feeling vengeful I liked how they did this because you think the first reaction you need to have is be like, oh my God, there's more Spider-Men. But he's like angry and he doesn't want their help and he wants them to go away. And he's just like vengeful, spiteful teenager. And that's really one of the first times we really we see that from Peter. It was very uncharacteristic. I mean, I can understand why his aunt just died, maybe because of him. And, or at least he thinks because of him. But I think one of my favorite moments from the movie is the speech that, Andrew Garfield and Tommy Mogar give him on that rooftop. It's it's a very emotional scene and a really good one. Yeah, and I think I think this movie too is like the full it's gonna sound super corny, but it's like the other two Spider-Man movies have had like that moment where something really bad happens and it's almost like they become like a full grown adult Spider-Man, like a all right, this job this is a job. This isn't just like for fun. Right. And Tobey Maguire had it when Uncle Ben died, and Andrew Garfield, Gwen died, and like no one had died from Tom Holland's universe, like that he cared about other than Tony Stark, which is not the same thing because it wasn't. He died. <laughs> he died. <laughs> Tom yeah, Holland. but like he yeah. didn't have anyone no, close to him die. He he blooped. He blipped, and then that was it. And yeah. He came back. Yeah, he didn't quite have a Black so, like, Widow esque. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is the first death he'd experienced in person with by himself. And honestly, it's a little weird too because it's really the only family he had. Right. I mean, he has he had MJ and Ned and Happy, but 
but uh, Aunt May was the only person he had. He didn't have an Uncle Ben. He didn't have really anyone else. So uh, it was definitely kind of interesting. And I, I think like his vengeful side and the side of like the anger and like the problem solving and the, oh, it's a job and like, let's, let's get it done. Like was definitely very, very interesting. I think made the movie better than he's like the first one you saw, like he was such a child, like, and they yeah. played it off. Like he was going to prom. Like right. it's, yeah. you, you can feel the differences. He's wearing like pajamas as a costume. Right. And uh, it's just, it's very different from like the super suit with the, intense technology and the spider legs with it it's just the nanotechnology like that takes over doc ox and then far from home like is when he becomes the superhero you know tony stark is dead like the avengers are kind of splintered right now he needs to be the one that steps up and then this one is he's dealing with the ramifications of that and he handles them to varying degrees of success um so we get that speech you know, that about great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben said that to both of them. And, you know, he, you know, like you said, Andrew Garfield lost Gwen Stacy. Uh, told me we got, he also lost Uncle Ben as well. But I guess they kind of just, he, I guess they were just also like, you know, Gwen Stacy matters more. She takes precedent. Um, and then Uncle Ben obviously died in, in the Maguire universe. But the Raimi-verse, whatever you want to call it. Um, so they all had these, you know, uh, you know, life-defining deaths that happen to them and that they feel responsible for so that really brings peter not out of his funk but at least somewhat out of his funk and this leads to them getting in the lab these three great minds to figure out how to cure these villains and it leads to like i alluded to earlier maybe the funniest maybe the funniest line in the movie when andrew garfield says to me are you going to go in a battle dressed like a local youth pastor or do you have a suit and yeah, he, he pulls down the, the sweater. And this is also the scene where we learn that Peter is still with MJ. They're still together. Uh, he said that we had, a, you know, they had to work out a lot of stuff, but they are together. Um, reportedly, there was supposed to be cameos from Emma Stone and Kirsten Dunst, but it, it got canceled due to the pandemic. Um, which is, I mean, it would have been cool to see them too. But uh, I think just mentioning MJ and mentioning Gwen Stacy, I think that's uh, that's sufficient for now. Um, but we get, you know, Andrew Garfield and Tommy Wire kind of, you know, get to know each other a little bit more. And <laughs> I love how, uh, I love when Ned is talking to Tommy Wire and he's like, do you have a man in the chair? And he's like, well, I had a best friend. He died in my arms. <laughs> after he tried to kill me. Yeah, after he tried to kill me. And Ned's like, <laughs> is, it, is it in the lab or is, um, is it before that, that scene where, uh, they, well, before they moved to the Statue of Liberty when Ned is like, uh, you're always my best friend, even if I, even if, even if like, I try to kill you or something like that. And everybody's just like so awkward. It's like, all right, whatever. Um, so then it brings us to the final fight. We're at the Statue of Liberty, and they have this. I mean, I I know I forgot to mention the box that Strange has. That if you press the button, they all go back to the universe where they're destined to die. Um, which is all well and good. Um, this is the whole crux of why. I mean. We completely even forgot to mention that incredible scene between Strange and Spider-Man where Spider-Man is able to lock him in the mirror dimension and Ned accidentally opens it later on the Statue of Liberty. But it is a... It, the final fight scene, I think, is is very well done. I mean, it does have that... It does suffer a little bit from the whole big CGI fight at the end of the movie, Itis, or whatever you want to call it. But 
very, very smart stuff. You know, he calls into uh, J. Jonah Jameson's quote-unquote radio show, whatever you want to call it, podcast, live cast, whatever it is, and essentially lures the villains all to the Statue of Liberty with this box because they want to destroy it because they don't want to go home where they are destined to die um, or live less powerful lives, whatever you want to say. So they go to the Statue of Liberty, and uh, as everybody... I gotta tell you, people are starting to get wise to this whole Marvel uh, CGIing people out of trailers thing, because everybody picked up on it in the the second trailer, where that the two Spider-Man were also in that final scene. Uh, they also made the mistake of not cutting out Lizzie getting kicked in the face in the Brazilian trailer, so you know, they had it coming to them, I guess. Uh, I have a, a lot to touch on with the final fight. So, are there any any thoughts you have to get out there? Uh, I mean, I, I liked, like you had mentioned before, when Ned was mentioning, like, when they were in the lab, and he's like, I promise I won't try to kill you either. Because <laughs> he mentions he's magic, he can open portals. And then that's Andrew right. Gar- Garfield kind of pats him on the back. Yeah, like, that's, right. that's a good that's a good man right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, So, a lot of great lines on the, on the Satchel Liberty. At least before the battle, sometimes during. But I think my favorite was, I think it's, it's a good point, too, because they all make the point they've, that well, at least Andrew Garfield and Tom McGuire made the point. They've never worked as a team. They've always worked by themselves. They're 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 on their own. <laughs> I think my favorite line is when Tom Holland's like, "It's okay. I've worked as a team. I was I was in the Avengers." And Tom McGuire goes, "The Avengers? That's great. What is that?" <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. He's like he's like, "What is that?" Because <laughs> they don't they obviously don't have the Avengers in their universe. Um even though Doctor Strange has been mentioned in the Tobin, whatever. But it is one of the best lines, I think, in that whole scene. And you get them kind of like chilling out, broing out, and you know, talking about Spider-Man stuff. And I, I do love um, <laughs> another favorite is when Tobey Maguire is like saying to Andrew Maguire how he has like a confidence problem. And he just keeps saying, you're amazing. Say it. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. And by the fourth one, everybody's like, all right, we, we get we get the joke here. We get it. He's the amazing Spider-Man. Yes, we understand. Um, but I think it's it, it, the, the final... I don't need to explain the final battle. I'm not going to be able to visually describe it to you. Everybody knows what it was. You saw it. Uh, but it was very well done. Exquisite. I think the scene where the three of them... There was a big applause in my theory when the three of them all swung around the Statue of Liberty. That was a sick scene. That was a great shot. That's, I don't know if you follow Marvel Perfect Shots on Twitter. That'll be one when they finally release that movie onto, like, Blu-ray. Like, that'll be one that they gif and they, they show. But beautiful stuff. I mean, the, the, the CGI, the effects, the, everything about that scene is, is pretty goddamn perfect. Yeah, I mean, they, <clears throat> they do the really big moments really well. Uh, people can kind of nitpick around the other stuff, but they always kind of make do with, they always make the really big moments count. And I think that is certainly a moment that people won't forget um, <clears throat> because everyone likes those Spider-Man. Like, they may not like all the movies, but they still like the characters. Right. And to have them fighting, like, villains that are actually relevant and, like, they're talking about who they fought and, like, yeah, you know, oh, I fought, like, I fought this really big alien in space. And yeah. He's like, he fought in space? And then yeah. Andrew Garfield, like you said, was talking about, like, Oh man, I'm lame. I just fought like a guy in a rhinoceros suit. And yeah, it's like that was good. That was a good throw. Um, that was and a it's good. just like it's great to have like callbacks to it because 
like anyone that's seen superhero movies has seen like all these and yeah. it's just such like a it's such a rush to like rethink about all those movies and like reminisce and uh go back to those so uh it certainly was really really cool and they swung around the building and they're all like trying to figure out how to work together yeah. and like they're trying to coordinate their attacks and like they're joking around like peter one listen to peter one and like peter yeah. two peter three yeah <laughs> it's just it's very very funny how like they interact with each other it was a good they, i also appreciate in the lab when there was that very subtle nod to the spider-man meme of them all pointing at each other it was a very subtle nod to when they were trying to figure out which peter they were talking about um and then we get the the final final fight between green goblin and, and tom holland where he like almost straight up murders him uh, would have murdered him if it wasn't for for Peter again stopping the glider, which is something he's used to. I mean, he gets stabbed. We all know he wasn't gonna die. Like he's Spider Man, he can recover from a stab wound. Like you said, I've been stabbed a lot. <laughs> I do. I also do love the line where Andrew Garfield's like holding him around the shoulders. He's like, "You're in a lot of pain." Yeah, I'm in a lot of. I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> they are. They were. They were great. They were great. They were just. They were really, really solid and. The the goblin's just such an such a, a great villain. And he, he he was really good in the first Spider Man, but he was even better in this. Yeah, I agree. And you saw I think you saw like more um variety in his performance. I think the goblin was more dark and sinister, and this was more like he was very helpful and warm and accepting and early on and became like extremely dark and messed up and really weird by the end of it. So it was certainly like the full range of performance for, for Willem Dafoe. So then we get the ending. Strange comes in. Uh, the whole universe is getting torn apart because a, uh, one of the pumpkin pumpkin bombs landed in the, the box. So the universe is tearing apart. The multiverse is, is shredding at the seams. So then Peter has the idea to cast a spell that everybody forgets that he is Peter Parker. Even MJ and Ned and Happy and the people you know important to him. People don't forget Spider-Man. Let's make this clear. They don't forget who Spider-Man is. They just forget that he is Peter Parker. So now, or they just forget that Peter Parker exists, rather. So now everybody doesn't know who he is. We get a very tender moment between him and MJ and him and Ned uh, where he says his goodbyes. But this is kind of the superhero gig. It is living with the ramifications of what you do and having to build build up from them kind of r- respond and and get back to you know get back on your feet and peter learns the tough way but he's matured like strange said they said saved half the universe together so uh he's not exactly you know in, you know unfamiliar with the territory um what do you think of the ending um i mean i liked it and i think it kind of sets them up to kind of do whatever they want going forward with the spider-man franchise um it leaves the door open that obviously i don't think this will happen but if tom holland walked away it would leave at least fans with some closure and if they want and if they wanted to reintroduce them to the marvel cinematic uniform mcu like they could easily just do another spell or come up with another scenario where he could get back in and if they wanted to spin him off like they're planning on doing with morbius and venom they have the opportunity to do that too so i think it leaves all the doors open for them going forward which i think was important um obviously for sony because it's like their number one property they want to make sure that if tom holland for whatever reason decides he's not interested in spider-man anymore then they have the opportunity where honestly 
they can reboot the other two Spider-Man if they wanted to. Right. But um, they could also recast. Or introduce Miles. Because Miles has been referenced yeah. already. So we could always they, bring... I mean, Jamie Foxx re- referenced them. He referenced them. We had Aaron Davis, uh, uh, you know, what's his name? Um, Donald Glover in Homecoming mentioned he's Aaron, Aaron Davis is Miles Morales' uncle. He's Prowler. And yeah. he mentions, I have a nephew who lives in this area. Like, I don't want these weapons around here. So we know Miles exists here. We just obviously haven't met him yet. So they could always just, I mean, hand, I know Tom Holland's going to be around for at least three more movies, so they could hand it off at some other point. But that would be a cool next part of the trilogy, like him being a mentor to somebody else would be cool. So that might be something we see down the line. But before we end, Dave, we have to talk about the post credit scenes. So the mid credit scene, rather, is Tom Hardy's Venom, which a movie I did not see, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And I've heard that was a good choice because I heard it was terrible. Uh, did you see it? I did see it. Am I right? Yeah, I didn't like there it. There we go. So uh, he's at, he, he like apparently got into another universe, which apparently was this one, at the end of the, the movie in the post credit scene or something like that. And he's at a bar getting drunk and whatever, whatever. The only part that matters is that he goes back to his universe and a little bit of the symbiote remains. So that is how we get Venom in the MCU, which I think is smart on a couple of levels. A, Venom is a very popular character. B, not to say Tom Hardy's bad, but they'll do it right in the MCU. Third and most important, C and most importantly, they can cast whoever they want now. It is an open book. They can cast anyone they want. It could be, you know, it could take over Peter. It could do whatever they want with it. But now you have a clean slate with Venom in the MCU and you can have him in the Sony-verse or whatever the hell it's called. So that was smart. I liked that part. Yeah, I mean, they like I said, the most important thing for Sony right now, especially, is just to leave the options open. Right. Because I really don't think they truly know which direction they want to go in. And I don't think... Um, I think the deal with that, with the MCU has expired, obviously. So They have a new one, though. I they're, think there's, they're still working together now, as far as I know. They're, yeah, they're still working together, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it leaves the options open with how they introduce everyone and get them together, mm. which is something they messed up the last time they tried to do it. So, and I think this uh, opens, yeah, this opens the door for, no, this opens the door for a, like for Venom joining the Sinister Six. Cause like Venom, Ed, Ed, Ed Hardy, Tom Hardy's Venom wasn't, was like goofy and more of an anti-hero, but like Venom is whoever he really like attaches to. Like Tom Hardy wasn't a bad person. Like, if Venom attaches to, you know, like, I didn't see the movie, but Carnage is obviously, like, a villain. And it just it depends on who the symbiote attaches to. So if it attaches to a, a real, uh, you know, horrible, despicable person, then that's what Venom will be. So it's possible that that's what happens in the MCU. Um, but let's get real here. The post credit scene is what everybody, you know, but that, that's the big one. And it really isn't even a post credit scene. It is a trailer for the Multiverse of Madness, which... Oh my God, this movie looks awesome already. Like, for, I, I said this to somebody on Twitter last night. Like, Mordo looks unreal, dude. Mordo looks like he's seen things in the past five years or whatever. Um, I think we finally get Mephisto in this movie, if the trailer says anything. And it's good to see Wanda again. It's also cool to see references to the TV shows and the movies now. Because he mentions Westview. And Wanda's supposed to be the villain in this movie, but she doesn't come off as a villain yet. So I'm wondering like how that's going to work out. Um, 
But if this first trailer is any indication, this movie's going to be unreal. Yeah, and we have the, a Doctor Strange variant, which right. is going to be interesting. Right. I didn't even um, think the word variant, honestly. that That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, with the variant option open now because of Loki, it's, like, sort of like anything's game now. Yeah. Like, any sort of movie, any sort of villain, any sort of being is, like... If Wanda's the villain, it could be a Wanda that's variant. Right. That's so, a like, good point. I never thought of that. It could be a variant of like, Wanda. Yeah, so there's like almost endless options, which really does make it interesting because you know Kevin Feige and, and the people that work on these movies have crossed off millions of options. Like yeah. they've run through different simulations. They've thought of different paths for each character. And they don't think about it with just this movie. They think about, all right, well, what does this do for three movies down the line with the Avengers? Or what does it do for the Fantastic Four, the Sinister Six? Or like... Right. They just keep thinking far and far ahead, and I think yeah, with, it's with this movie. First of all, like everyone that that's reportedly been privy to the talks, which are very little, very few people, and you don't get specific details. But but they always say like, if you think this Spider-Man movie is crazy, yeah. wait until you see Doctor Strange because yeah. like there's so many people in that movie yeah. that it's gonna be insane and. Yeah. I don't know how you could get more excited for a movie. Like, we're going to get that next year, like in, and then in March or April, I think. I believe, or, or is May. it late next year or early, or is it 2020? Is Love and Thunder's next year, isn't it, too? Dave Rose. Isn't it, like, next November or December? I thought it was. I think we're supposed to get that Wakanda Forever and Love and Thunder in the same year. I know you're looking it up now. I don't think any of those are 2024. I think 2023 is the next Ant-Man, I'm pretty sure. Davis got the Google machine fired up. Yeah, that's two years away, I think. Yeah, Quantumanium is two years away. Right now. Let's see. Did you see, while we're on the topic really quickly, did you see the uh, definitely fake leak that they, they like, leaked, quote-unquote, the Fantastic Forecast? <laughs> yeah, that was so fake. Did you see it was Glenn, Glenn Howard and was Mr. Fantastic? <laughs> I actually, I would, I would, I would not, I, I, I would not hate that casting, but it's definitely not true. Um, I think that's hilarious. Though. So did you get clarity on 2023, 2022? Uh, yes. Okay. So in order, oh, wait, hold multi, on. I know multiverse of madness. I'm pretty sure is March of 2022. So it, it goes from order. So we have Morbius in January. No, well, that, I, don't, I don't really care about that right now. Um, we have Doctor Strange, May 6th. Oh, May 6th. Brutal. May 6th. Yeah, okay. I remember it got moved back. It did. I think it was um, supposed to be in March. Okay, so yeah, May 6th. Black Widow-esque timing. Yeah, and they they obviously bumped it for a number of reasons. Probably right, the right, theater right. concerns as well. Right. Um, Love and Thunder, July 8th. Really? That's so soon. we're going to get like three months. We're going to get two of the biggest movies <laughs> two years Ooh, i'm fanning myself dave oh my god <laughs> and then is there a third one that year is that it well and then um sandwich those are sandwiched between two tv shows miss marvel and she hulk oh right is moon knight next year moon knight is also next year because okay. that's gonna be sick oscar isaac is moon knight it's gonna be nuts uh i'm looking forward to all those tv shows because miss marvel is gonna factor into the next captain marvel which is the i think no you know what Miss Marvel also plays into, uh, I think she plays into Doctor Strange, too. I believe she does, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, but um, then, yeah. this next, as if this... 
wouldn't be an Next episode. Next year, again, that Wi-Fi Yes. I think 2023 is Quantumanium. Yeah, I can hear you. Quantumanium. Is Fantastic Four 2023 or is that 2024? Um, let's see. Guardians 3 is 2023. Okay, Guardians Quantumanium 3. Quantumanium 2023. Quantumanium. Also, I keep calling and it Quantumanium. Fantastic it's Quantumania. What? Fantastic Four. Uh, Fantastic Four is 2023, November. Oh my god! They, but, they but they have to announce a cast next year. Like they have to. That's what. Here's my prediction. I mean, they, here's my prediction. Comic Con 2022 is when they announce the cast. Probably, yeah. That's my prediction. Like, can I do someone's People are gonna lose it too. Like like when uh, Marshall Ali walked out as Blade. People are gonna lose it when that happens. And watch it'll be like four. Then, like, it'll be like four unknowns too. Like we'll never even know who they are. But then at the end of next year too, we get Black Panther two yep. and Spider Verse. That's right. The next Spider Verse, the part one of the next Spider Verse, is next year. Yeah, that's right. So it's like in the next like year and a half, we're going to get an insane amount of like. Oh well, hold on. Movies. And don't forget the Batman next year too. Yeah. Yeah, which is gonna which, which looks which might be the best movie next year. It looks good. It lo- the expectations yeah. are very high for me. Um, the trailer went on in the theater the other night, and I'm like, oh my god, dude, this looks so goddamn. It looks so First cool. of all, the job they did making uh, Colin Farrell look like the Penguin is insane. He doesn't even look like Colin Farrell. Anyway, this is I... not this is not a podcast <laughs> about Batman. We'll get to that eventually. Um, but anyway, Dave, before we leave, your score for the movie. Out of 50 states, remember we grade out of 50 states? What is your score? This is a 48 for me. Damn you. I always want to be different, but we have... I also thought to myself 48. It's like... It's the best movie I've seen in theaters since, since I think, uh, Endgame. Yeah, it's definitely the most hyped movie for me since Endgame. Like, counting down the days and the hours till I saw it. Um, again, not quite the theater experience that Endgame was. My only issues, like I said, the first act moved a little slowly. There were a couple things I still need reconciling, like the, the Ned immediately using magic part. I think we need to little, flesh that out a little bit more. Um, but overall, a very well-paced two-and-a-half-hour movie even if I didn't really love how the first act fell together. But I think that for the expectations they had and what they had to accomplish, knocked it out of the park. I mean, that's... And I and I think, like, the supporting cast was so good in this movie. Like, yeah. Ned had a really funny couple one-liners. All the villains had really good one-liners. Yeah, Zendaya was great. She was great. It wouldn't be a crossing state line. Strange so. was good. Andrew were both great. <laughs> yes. Toby and Andrew were great. They were. They were. Um, they were awesome. They were awesome. But it's also... Dude, people... I have like, never heard people... Maybe in Endgame, but I've never heard people clap at names in the credits like people did when Andrew Garfield and Toby McGuire's names came up. See, no one did that in my theater. Yeah, people clapped when their names came up. I'm like, wow, man, you people yeah. really, really liked it. I did too, don't get me wrong. But And I'm glad you didn't say it because this will be a, to- a topic for another podcast of where this ranked in the MCU for us, which we'll get to at some other point. Um, but... The real, I, think, I think the real question is, do you think that they revive either... I... Yeah, I think the... the characters ru- move. I think the rumors are that at least Andrew's going to get revived to some degree. 
but we don't know for sure about Toby. I'm not sure. I'm not an insider. I follow a lot of them, but I think it's up in the air right now. I do think Andrew comes back, but I mean, Toby Maguire, who knows? I don't even know what he's doing these days. Like, I, I don't know what he has done since Spider-Man, but I don't even know. I barely know what he did before. He was in the Cider House rules. I don't even know what else he did before, but um, I think that they'll print money if they keep bringing them back. People like them, so might as well do it up. Um, but Dave, that will do it. Our, our, our episode, oh my God, I think it's 223. I had just looked on Spotify. I think it's 223. I'll figure that out before I post it. Um, actually it's on Anchor. Hold on. 223. Yes, this is 223. Our first episode in over six months. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. We are, we are back as Michael Jordan would say. We're at CSL Podcast on Twitter. Go find us there. And, uh. We'll be swinging back into your homes. <laughs> into your, not into your homes. That's not what I meant to say. No, <laughs> that's say. not right. No, not like Spider-Man. We're not swinging into people's homes. Into your ears and your devices, and that's not what I wanted to click. I want to click GarageBand. Now I have to wait five seconds for this to open. Uh, <laughs> you know what, Dave? We still haven't quite mastered the ending of the episode, so uh, uh, we might as well just uh, end it here. Thanks.